And I'm Norma. And we're Black Girls with Accents. Welcome back, guys. Hello, everyone. So, you know, sometimes the stars align and things work out so perfectly and sometimes they don't i don't know what it's called Me- retrograde and mercury i don't even know what you call it <laughs> i love when people say microbraids in retrograde <laughs> ah i like that one too so then things sometimes things don't turn out as planned but that's okay because i do believe everything in its time i'm a firm believer in that and so we have wanted our next guest to join us on the podcast for quite some time. And due to scheduling, logistics, and just life, um, we've had to delay. But oh my gosh, I mean, what better time uh, than today, right? Never, uh, never better than the present. So today we are so excited to bring to you... <sighs> an amazing woman she is not only uh, a motivator for clean and healthy for a clean and healthy vegan lifestyle uh, but this busy lady is a vegan chef and blogger she is the creator of the popular vegan soulicious you can find her on instagram and when you follow Charlize, what you'll find is not just tantalizing dishes that are reflective of her strong caribbean roots Uh, from meals, baked goods, and her morning smoothies. But along with this, you'll find daily affirmations, reminders to indulge in self-care, and beautiful images of her wonderful uh, little mini-me. She is an advocate for animal rights. Like most creatives, uh, cooking and um, advocating for animal rights is not Charlize's only focus. She has a former life in the entertainment industry that carries over in a different way through her Instagram blogs. I, for one, are waiting for the uh, food truck or the pop-up shop or something so I can taste some of this wonderful food that uh, she highlights on her page every day and hopefully maybe a restaurant coming soon. Who knows what she will tell us about good things to come. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome Charlize Rockwood. Yay! <laughs> wow, now that was an intro. Deserving <laughs> show. I need I need to hire you and that's you need to just do that for me every time before I come out. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's my, my version of Beyonce's uh I, yeah. I, I love it. I feel like I have to live up to, to a lot right now, but oh, it's okay. Oh, it's I, all right. I'm sure, we'll be fine. So let's jump in. And I, I want to jump in to your narrative through food, since that's how um, many people uh, know you, right? The, the person, the people who don't know you well, we know you through food. And okay, so can you talk a little bit about your food journey and I'm not popular I'm not a fan of the journey language but I think it's appropriate for this right so when I think about your site I think about healing I think about family I think about storytelling and I think about community so can you kind of unpack all of that and explain to us how you started on this journey um, uh, this food journey in this very unique way you put it so well, actually. It's um, it's definitely a combination of community, healing, 
family. It definitely starts with family. Now, my dad's from Jamaica, my mum's from Mauritius. So they're both, you know, islanders and everything. I think you can relate. Everything revolves around the kitchen growing up as kids. Mm -hmm. So if there's there's an issue or a debate or a discussion or, or a celebration or there's trauma in my house, it always ends up being in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's where everyone comes together right. around that around that table. And even if we haven't seen each other in a while and it ends up being just that one celebration, whether it be a, a Christmas or a funeral, which is sadly always the way we get to see each other, mm-hmm. the food is going to bring us together. That's going to be the talking point. <laughs> Right, right. At the at the end of um any of those kind of um celebrations, um, it ends up be, it ends up being ends up being food. When my parents actually met, um, my mum moved from Mauritius to London when she was about eleven, mm-hmm. and my dad moved from Jamaican to London when he was about eight. And he was one of six, but they sent for him last. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they finally got together, my mum could not cook. Mm. Although everyone in her family could cook, she couldn't cook. And my dad taught her how to cook, Mm. which is really, really interesting because she ended up being an amazing cook. Well, oh, yeah, the men, the men in my dad's family, they were throwing it down. Yeah, I was going to say that because my dad was a cook. My dad was a cook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Even same for us. My dad cooked more than my mom when we were younger. Mm -hmm. That's so really interesting. Yeah, he just cooked way more of our meals. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe I know in my family, my dad um, had five brothers. So it was very competitive mm-hmm. down to who did the best dumplings, who did the best rice and peas. Right. And his two sisters were always kind of struggling just to get a little right, look right, in. Right. Uh, but they could cook just as good as them, right, but they right. were kind of outnumbered. Yeah, um, yeah. So my dad had me in the kitchen from a really young age, especially on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I remember being as young as as young as eight and him being him being like okay you are gonna chop the onions or you're gonna do something you're gonna participate in some way put the the peas on (laughs) put the peas on wash the rice do do something right do do something and there was obviously clearly music there had to be some good sounds some good sounds um let me, let me ask at, you at, how old, at the same time how old was your dad because i want to get the it, your, i think your dad's probably about 10 years younger than mine maybe even more so what was it dennis brown um who was what was playing in the background then when i was around eight yeah around that age so yeah yeah it would have been then yeah it would have been dennis brown yeah. um my dad had me when he was um 20 okay yeah, so he was um he was quite he was quite a young dad. Yeah. So and he was a DJ. Ah um, on top of it. Yeah, so he was a DJ and he had a nightclub um that got burnt down by some white rivals Ooh. in Soho. Mm. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay. <laughs> it was All crazy. Right. So I was just trying to set the but scene, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a whole yeah, so he came from Jamaica, um one of one of eight mm-hmm. and 
I know I'm kind of digressing, but That's this okay. is it will it will kind of it will connect it. But he was the last one that got sent um, over, and when he finally came to London, all the other kids had already kind of settled and found their way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of felt a little bit like a fish out of water, and he was also the youngest mm-hmm. out of out of the eight. So when he came, things things weren't great for him. And there was a lot of abuse in the home, but only towards my dad. So he kept on running away. And the police kept on putting out missing, missing posters. He was on milk cartons. They were forever looking. They were always looking. They were always looking for him. And then I think it was the seventh time he'd ran away. And he'd been gone for a week. And they were like, okay, this is the longest we haven't been able to find Wiley for. He's nine Whoa. Uh, we don't know where he is. They were looking for him in Dalston. They would always find him in the Dalston Hackney area. Hmm. And Wrigley Road Market was still, it, it was, it was, it was a big thing. Right. It was, uh, it was um, in, in its peak. And somebody saw a picture of my dad on a carton of milk and they said they spotted him in the market. And they said that he was sleeping underneath the stalls, you know, when they pack up in the nighttime. And they said, I think we've seen him in Wrigley Road Market in Dalston. So the police went down, they couldn't find him. And then this other guy said, yeah, that little black boy, he's been sleeping here. We kicked him out and we think he's gone to sleep in the cinema. (sighs) So they went to the cinema and they found him. He was sleeping in the cinema on the floors under the seats. And he was like, he was nine. So when they found him this time, they said, okay, something's not right. Yeah. Right. For a child to do that. We are going to let you make the choice now. Do you want to go back home or do you want to go in? Do you want us to try and find you foster parents? And yeah. he said, I want foster parents. Yeah. So my dad ended up going to Stevenage and he was brought up by a white family. <laughs> I'm from Letchworth. <laughs> Shut up. My dad was in Letchworth. So my dad ended up going to Stevenage. He had a, an amazing um, family, a white mum and dad, and they had a mixture of foster children from yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And he ended up just having an amazing time. And then he moved back to London. He played for Stevenage. He played um, football. And then he ended up moving back to London when he was a teenager. And then fashion was his passion. And he had a he had a little market store in West London. And he would come to New York every summer and fill up his suitcase with secondhand Levi's and bring them back and sell them. There was this little indoor market. Do you remember the old um do you remember the old Virgin Records at Tottenham Court Road that was there back in the day? It was the first Virgin record store in the world. Ooh, I might have been here then. What year was that? You might have been here. Oh, yeah. God, we're going back late 70s. Oh, no, oh, I, was, yeah. oh, I was still at home. No, I, I mean, yeah. I was late 70s, I was still... <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. So there was a market stall in there, and um, he used to just sell the second-hand Levi's, and he used to sell vinyls as well, but he'd get them all from New York, fill up his suitcase, come back. And there was a guy next door to him, and they'd always... You get coffee this morning. Oh, I'll get you a coffee tomorrow morning. And the guy next door was also selling vinyls, and everyone was just—it was hustling. Yeah. Well, that guy was that guy was Richard Branson. Oh my oh, so God! Crazy. What? <laughs> and the then mic. that that ended up being 
the first virgin flagship megastore in the world. So mm-hmm. Richard Branson had a little table like my dad, a little wooden table. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to meet him just to share that story. Oh. But I've never been lucky enough to meet him. But hopefully one day I will. Right? Yeah, so that, it's, yeah, so uh, it kind of went on from there. My dad ended up being a, a really big fashion designer in London and did the clothes show and the fashion weeks and... He worked with Vivian Westwood and Oswald Botang and ended up just from a young boy who was kind of set up to fail. He still couldn't read and write when he was a grown-up. I used to do all of his emails and but he still managed um, to succeed. But cooking was his his passion, back to the food. That was his passion. Mm -hmm. So um, good music, good food. Um, he only let me in the kitchen. No one else wasn't allowed in the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> so how many siblings do you have? I went my entire life with no siblings. Then my parents got divorced when I was about 14. And then my mum got remarried. And when I was 18, my brother came. And when I was 20, my sister came. Okay. Yeah. So daddy's girl. So I feel, yeah, my dad didn't have any more kids. Oh, so daddy's girl. Um, but, yeah. my, but my mum started over. So what is your transition from all the traditional stuff into your vegan stuff and how was that experience for like direct family but and also like in your in your home like i'm oh, sorry yeah outside family but also your direct family in your home yeah uh it's quite interesting because growing up my dad only ate fish um for no other reason than it was just he just didn't like me that mm-hmm. was it there was nothing else attached to it mm-hmm. Um, my mum was pretty much the same. She only ate fish um, for no other reason than it was just, she just didn't like the taste of meat. So I kind of grew up eating predominantly fish. Um, my grandma on my mum's side um, was a seven-day Adventist. So yeah. I, spent all my, I spent all my weekends with her, like Friday to Sunday. So she was vegetarian. Yeah. So I naturally yeah. ate vegetarian every weekend for most of my childhood. So I always say to people, my transition wasn't an overnight cold turkey situation. Right. Um, it was kind of a natural, organic process. As a kid, um, I hated eggs. I hated chicken. I didn't like milk for no other reason than it made me feel sick. Yeah. So my, I always kind of, I kind of see now that my body was naturally rejecting some things. Yeah. It wasn't attached to me feeling sorry for the chickens or the poor little cow. I didn't have any of that awareness. Um, So it wasn't, I already felt like I was already halfway there um, without even trying. Mm -hmm. And then then when my dad um, fell sick, when he got diagnosed with stomach cancer, that was when I kind of really started to dig into, you know, you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. Like, what is happening here? Because initially when he got diagnosed, it was, um, my dad wasn't big on pharmaceuticals. He wasn't trusting mm-hmm. a doctor. I think that's just quite a West Indian, that mm-hmm. generation, that's just kind of how it is. Right. Um, and I have to say now, I don't blame him. <laughs> one bit. Right, right, right. One, mm-hmm. one, one bit. Um, so we initially 
our whole thing was we are going to try and treat this holistically mm-hmm. and try and heal him that way. Right. But the problem was by the time we had found out with the misdiagnosis, uh, he was stage four, so it had gone too far right. to even kind of implement anything and pull it back. Right, right. Um, and then his sister got stomach cancer, then his brother got stomach cancer. So I literally had three years back to back of nursing four siblings and none of them made it. No. So is this hereditary? They are saying that our family has Lynch syndrome. So Lynch syndrome is hereditary cancer. Um, And there's, um, and with that, um, children of, you know, the ones that have passed, especially women, are high risk mm. um, for ovarian cancer. Yeah. Mm. So they were really pushing for me to have a hysterectomy. Mm. Um, I'd say a year after my dad had passed, no, after his sister had passed, actually, because they were like, okay, there's something happening here. This pattern is crazy. Yeah. There's more to this. But I didn't. Um, it's a person, it's a personal choice. There was a moment where I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I spoke to someone. I actually spoke to Queen Afua. Okay. And yeah. 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 So we had a conversation and I had a conversation with her son, Supernova. Mm-hmm. And she didn't tell me what to do. They, we just had an open conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I just made my own mind up to not do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have absolutely nothing against women that that choose the other route. Yeah, like it's a very, very personal choice. It is. But you feel the way you've um, implemented your lifestyle and other holistic parts that you can properly keep an eye on your... Uh, on your I believe so. I, yeah, I mean, the main reason for me doing this 360 is prevention. Yeah. You know, so I think by the time I had decided, I mean, when I had Emmy, I was 40. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a case of, okay, 40, having a kid, I want to be around for as long as possible. Right. And I definitely want to try and start her off um, in a cleaner space. Yeah, I'm not saying that myself or my daughter couldn't get sick. Um I definitely am going to try everything I can in my power right. to, you know, yeah. to prevent some real obvious things. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the, th- you know, yes, yes, yes. Real quick for that. One of the, um, <laughs> one of the wonderful things about your, your, it's a lifestyle, right? So it's not just about cooking, it's a lifestyle, but in, as it relates exactly. to food and what we see, what we see, you don't miss out. Meaning that, people often associate a vegan lifestyle, a vegetarian lifestyle with lack, that you're, 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 you're losing all of the things that you love, right? Saltiness, yeah. or the sweetness, or the umami flavors, or the, and you don't, yeah. what you're, what I love about your um, posts are that, well, not only is it comforting and brings me back down memory lane and reminiscent of growing up with all the dishes and we share like a lot of commonality in terms of what yes. my dad likes and all of that. So there's that part, but you offer substitutes for whether it's, you know, eggs or it's the, you know, or any dairy product, you offer the substitutes and 
basically walk people step by step through how they can recreate some of the most delicious dishes which would be associated with a non-vegan lifestyle. So exactly. what's the impetus for the dishes you prepare? Is it, as you know, you come across a song and that reminds you of a moment? Is it, like, how do you prep for the week? Because it takes a lot to um, <laughs> maintain... Uh, an active yes. present uh, online and god knows norma and i it, it, it struggle does, to carve it out does, just, it, just a week and you are online every single day and not with <laughs> not just for the sake of being online with crap content that is thoughtful and you, you take your time to think about um kind of these visually arresting images of the, yeah. the food that you're preparing and the soundtrack that goes with it and your soothing voice so how do you prep for the week? How do you get... It's so stuff? funny because that question, I get that question all the time from the parents in the playground after school. Mm-hmm. They're just like, okay, you're in the park with us until 7 p.m. But somehow when you go home... <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, do you know what? Like you said, it's a lifestyle. Mm. And... I'm passionate about it. And this could have very much have just been a hobby. Yeah. It could have just been a hobby. And I would have just found something on the side, but somehow, some way the universe is working in my favor at the moment. And I'm able to turn something that I'm really passionate about. And, and it's turning into a living for me. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually feel like work it's I enjoy cooking I'm a foodie I love music the happiest place in my house is the kitchen mm-hmm. nice. like that it is a complete escapism for me and I know a lot of people find social media really stressful but I have to tell you in this pandemic it has saved me I don't know what I would have done without Instagram I don't know if I would have made the same growth and the same steps if this hadn't have happened. Because right. I've just found that people now are really open to yeah. trying to be healthy. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone's scared. Yeah. Everyone's scared. Everyone's like, everyone's like, oh my God, immune system. Everyone's freaking out. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, there's, there's been a lot of tragedy and we're still here. It hasn't gone by any means. Right. Um, but people are asking questions now and that's my motivation. You know, it's even, like we moved to a new house in December and we had no intentions of moving. We were in a smaller apartment before and I never used to show my kitchen in that house because it was just so, so tiny and cramped and I knew my vision and I knew how I wanted to present myself. So I just thought I'm just not gonna really show the process as much. And then a really dear friend of mine um, lived three blocks down from where I lived. And she sadly lost her husband, Jason, to COVID and um, left behind her and his two little daughters. Mm -hmm. And she came to see me and she said, look, I've seen what you're doing on Instagram. and, And I can tell you're really restricted with the way you're trying to navigate this thing. But she's like, I believe in you and I can see that you're really trying. And she's like, I am going to move back to my parents and I want to rent my house out. And 
this house was never meant to be rented. Like we were all meant to die in this house together. Yeah. And my, my husband did so much to this house. I don't want a stranger in here. Would you, do you guys want to rent this house? And I was like, uh, it was December. It was like yeah. pandemic madness. Yeah, I was yeah. like, no, really? Yeah. I don't really want to. And she was like, well, can you just at least take a look at it? She's like, I'll leave the keys in the lockbox. Just take a look. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'll take a look. And I went, <laughs> I opened the front door. Mm-hmm. And the heaven spoke to you. <laughs> I saw that kitchen. Right. And I said, we're yeah. moving. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's crazy because this new space has just given me a whole new lease of energy um, and life. And and it's just, it's given me the motivation. Like, I wasn't too sure where I was going with it. And I was waiting for something to give. Yeah. And I, I didn't know what it was going to be. But definitely the, I was blessed Um to have this new environment and you know and Jason who passed away was vegan you know so like I want this oh, to work for Jason yeah, you know yeah, yeah. it's like I want this to work for him yeah. like he built he built this kitchen with his bare hands he's a right. carpenter oh. so when I'm in there it's like I I feel his spirit when, when I'm in there you know it's Indeed. um I'm getting a lot of good vibes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the stars aligned and you're where you were supposed to be yeah. at the right time that's what we said when we started the podcast right exactly exactly but you were saying in regards to like substitutes and, and stuff and I get a lot of backlash at my DMs if I show you oh. you'd be horrified oh you'd be horrified mm, okay. oh the, the, cra- the craziest come out for me but it's got nothing better to do at it's all. just like if you don't like what I'm doing here just don't follow me it's it's okay so um I get the same thing with the substitutes the minute I kind of post me doing some because the thing is I don't eat the substitutes but that's just my personal choice because I never because I never ate meat and chicken growing up I don't have those cravings um but some of my family do but but I don't But I completely can relate. I think they hold a really important place in transitioning or even entertaining transitioning. Right, I think right. they hold a really, yes, they're processed and yes, they're made in the factory and I get all of that. But not everyone can just go from being a carnivore to just eating, you know, raw asparagus and walnuts. Right. It just doesn't work like that. She was doing <laughs> for 21 days. I did a 21 day run. A vegan cleanse, and I, I used some of your stuff. On it was hard. oh, bless you. It was good though. I have to say, I was my head wasn't foggy. I was checking out some of my inflammation. It went away. Oh wow! So, but you it see? was hard to not have a hot plate of food. So like, leave okay, it. so you went raw. Yeah. Oh and wow! No wavering. And I, and oh wow! Back like into it, I was like, I think I can do it as long as I can saute some veggies. Exactly. Exactly. And it's you know what is it's just it's um, being organized is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're not organized, you're gonna reach for something crazy, whether you're plant based or not. You're just gonna reach for something crazy. Agreed. Agreed. Can you talk a little bit about? I think more people are beginning to pay attention. This kind of relates back to your dad and um, your Caribbean ancestry. Can you talk a little bit about the um, kind of history of plant-based 
a plant-based diet, especially as it relates to Rastafarianism. Mm -hmm. So religion, you spoke about your grandma already, but people in the Caribbean community are, you know, all familiar with an idol diet, right? Mm -hmm. it's just exactly. Standard. Two of my dad's brothers are Rastafarians and, right. and my uncles, their dads were, so they were like idol just via default. Right, right. It's um, this new trend, this new kind of white trend this overly priced lifestyle that has surfaced it really irritates me um, because it definitely isolates something that we've been doing forever. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, like in the Indian, yeah. Yeah. it's like it, it's, it, they were eating from the land way before this became a trend. Right. And it's, and it's hard. I think especially in America, you know, with food deserts and, mm. and just all of the segregation and mm. they're making it completely impossible for black people to kind of just step on this ladder and try. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're making it really, really hard. I was talking to one of my friends the other day and we were saying we definitely need, we definitely need to start creating some more community gardens mm. because I think if we, can start doing that together and start planting with the community and they can they can see you know what they've grown and right. just see that process and go from kind of soil to plate right. you have a completely um different connection to yeah. it you're proud yeah. you know and the taste of it that was a big difference i i, I moved as well during the pandemic and coming from bedside to this neighborhood and mm. being able to just go to, there's plenty of markets, plenty of fresh fruit, fruit and veggies. And that was the thing that I had a really hard time with in Bed-Stuy. I had to go way out to get- Way out. Um, it's crazy. I think, I think we're really spoiled in London. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's how it feels. Everything, because it's always been so multicultural, everything has always yeah. been so accessible. You know, you go to the Indian shop on the corner and you go to the Chinese shop on the next corner yeah. and yeah. everything was just there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard here. Um, and I try, I, I mean, uh, Vegan Solicious Instagram platform, it is, you know, it is for everybody, but I am aiming it towards my brothers and sisters because I think we need the most help. Yes, indeed. indeed. And, uh, and that, that's just how I feel about it. And um, I think, I think a, the sooner, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that there's a, almost like a disconnect because there are yeah. like, quote unquote urban farmers, right? And there are efforts yeah. to ensure that kids begin to learn about growing their own lettuce and tomatoes at school in a tiny plot of land. But that same message, I don't know that it reaches the parents. And parents, no. especially a harried parent, believe they don't have the time or how I agree. start or I don't know. And I think now I don't want to talk out of turn for any African-American listeners on the who listen to follow us. Mm -hmm. But I would venture to say, Norma, maybe you can speak to this. I would venture to say that people from the South, this is part and parcel of their upbringing mm -hmm. to have many people in the South, to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. I yeah. think those of us who live in an urban metropolis um, might find it a little harder to envision um, 
growing your own fruits and vegetables because we don't all have access to space right so exactly lucky that I have a little plot in the front and a little plot in the back I you know at least I do tomatoes I might do some lettuce and spring onions awesome I don't know that people know that you could grow your own spring onions right on your side, right? You can just put the... the, the no, they don't know. You could do they right don't know. Today. They don't know how easy yeah. this process is, but it's, it's because America doesn't want them to know. Right, yeah. right, right. They don't want them to know. You know, as long as, as, long as you don't know, it's, you know, it, it holds us back. It keeps us down. Right, keep going. You know, because the, yeah, because the minute we get, the minute we kind of, get a wind of that on a bigger scale mm-hmm. so it's game over right right <laughs> yeah it's almost like the shift of the relaxer they were like oh no they came up with a whole bunch of other natural nonsense so we just brought our money back to yeah. hair care i feel like that was such a drastic drop when i know we're talking about who but mm-hmm. i just remember that like everybody stopped using relaxers and you could tell they um the western companies started making like their bottling was like brown with gold yeah yeah exactly that's true that is so true i remember when that first started happening that's hilarious they'll get you any way they can charlie can we can you take us just a little bit back to your time in the uk um sure if you could just entertain us for a second about your your other (laughs) life because once in a while, you'll give us a little snippet so we can... we can. The uh... other life that has been predominantly most of my life. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's really funny because uh, sometimes I, I forget. Well, well, we don't when we see the images. <laughs> I forget. You know, when you have a kid and you just you turn into mum, you're just like, ooh! Indeed. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, uh, so I grew up... Um, in a family of musicians. Um, so I definitely lived a very, I would say, free artistic life in a very flamboyant household. That's how I'm going to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was an extrovert. Um, my mom was the same, so extra. <laughs> and, and the house was bustling house was bustling it was never quiet people coming in and out and my mum's brother um bluey who is like my second dad my favorite uncle in the world he had a band um in the 70s called light of the world which then turned into incognito and they're like one of the biggest jazz funk bands out there yeah so i grew up um as young as five six sitting in sound checks watching him sitting in the studio watching them record and just in awe of everything so kind of in between my uncle bluey and i'm being in the studios and watching him in the studio writing for anita baker and george benson kind of rocks in and i was little so i didn't really you know, I was small, so I was just like, oh, okay. But now I'm just like, oh my god, oh yeah, <laughs> oh my god, that like that that music like saved my life at many points. Um, so I ended up just kind of being. I just kind of ended up stalking my uncle, and then when I got to about, um, so I was at school, I finished secondary school, and when I was in secondary school, I was already. 
kind of singing and just doing little performances, nothing serious, just kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got, when I was 16, my parents were like, okay, so what's next? Like, what are you, you going to do? And I was like, well, I guess I should just go to like fashion college and kind of just kind of do like what my dad's doing. And I like fashion and I was really good on a sewing machine because my dad's mum um, was a seamstress. So she taught me how to use a sewing machine. So I was sewing all the time. So that was, but I didn't like having to draw stuff. And so when I, so I went to, fa- I went to the London College of Fashion. And my first year was a disaster because I was like, no, hold up one second. I have to do research. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I already know what I want to make for the the final piece. I don't need to go to the library and look at what the royal family were wearing in the 1800s. I don't need to do none of that. I already know what I want to do. So clearly I failed with all the coursework and the research because I was, I'm just, I'm very practical. So I just wanted to go get the fabric, make it, get someone to model it in the college and let's just, no, let's just do the right, thing. Let's right, just get right. to the show. Right. So after a year, my dad was like, uh, okay, the final piece was dope. Yeah. But at the same time, I started to go to the studio. So I was going to my uncle's studio. I was about 17 and he started getting me to do backing vocals and some of the stuff on the album. Mm. So my dad was like, okay, you're doing some real late nights in the studio now. This feels like it's you're in the middle of two places. Like just make a choice Hmm. and just and go for it. You either stay at the London College of Fashion and put your all into it or you just go the music thing. So I said, okay, I'm gonna go the music thing. Because I didn't want to study. Yeah. Yeah. I won't let my daughter I won't let my daughter hear that. (laughs) So I literally I threw myself in um head first. Um and I for most of my life. I was signed to Universal as a songwriter. So I wrote for other people for most of my life. So I spent a lot of time in Sweden and Denmark writing for a whole bunch of cheesy pop acts. It was all very UK based. Um, You know how it was back then. Right, right. And part of me was always kind of like, I I think I want to do the artist thing. Like, I think I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, maybe I should try and be in a band first. Then there's not too much focus or pressure right, on me. Right. So I ended up auditioning for All Saints. Mm-hmm. And I had to audition to Simon Cowell. And I went to the record company and I auditioned. And the two girls were there. And they were like, yeah, she has to join. So I joined All Saints. And after six months, I was like, oh, no. So I, I left that, went back to just being a writer. And then I ended up touring with Incognito for many years just as their backing vocalist. I realized mm-hmm. that I just didn't want to be up front. Yeah, full circle. It just, it just, it just, I didn't have the fight for, I just, I just didn't want it. It yeah. was all just too much. And I really enjoyed being a backing vocalist and I got to travel the world and I spent a lot of time in Japan. And then when I was in Japan one year, um, Columbia Records came to one of the shows and on that show Stevie Wonder came up and sung Don't You Worry About a Thing oh, and uh, that was mental yeah. uh, I froze oh, God. <laughs> and Columbia Records came and afterwards they said to my uncle you know do you think we could speak to you and your niece and we think you should do like a solo thing in Japan and I was like really I don't really know 
So I ended up signing to Columbia in Japan. I did a solo album called Pinky Ring. It was like so poptastic. I cannot even play it because it makes me cringe. We'll be looking at our, uh, don't worry. <laughs> Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> oh God, so I did that and it did really well. I toured it in Japan and then I just, I didn't like it. I didn't, I just didn't like the attention. I, I wasn't enjoying it. And I just said to my uncle, you know what? Once my contract is up, it was just two years. I said, I, I don't want to do a second album. I was like, I'm out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to just write. And But in between all of that madness, I was coming to New York quite a lot. Um, I was coming here from about the age of 12 because my aunt was living in Queens. Oh. And, and then eventually they moved to Canada, to Toronto, right. um, which is where they are now. So I used to come and stay with her in the summers um, with my best friend and just have a blast. Because, you know, back then, like, yeah. New York was the real New York. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then I came here when I was about 22. Mm. And I rented a little apartment in Manhattan. And you open the window, there's a brick wall. <laughs> and uh, there's no AC. And I was here for three years. Um so I went back to London and I managed to sign a really big publishing deal with Universal in London. Um, so it did serve a purpose. Right. Um, and then I ended up just writing tons for them. And and I was still touring with Incognito at the time. And then my dad fell sick and I was still kind of working. And then my uncle one day said to me, look, our tour manager has just walked out on us. And he said, I think you'd make a great tour manager because you've been on both ends of the spectrum. I was like, really? You've got 21 people in your band, 21 people. (laughs) And he was like, no, 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 trust me. I think you're going to be perfect. So I ended up being Incognito's tour manager for two years. And I ended up just traveling the world with them and... I had an amazing, I had an amazing journey. So I was a tour manager until when I fell pregnant. I, I was in Atlanta and I didn't feel well. And that's when I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> and that was when I came off the road. Then my uncle was like, well, you're a liability. It's yeah. just like, no, you can't, yeah, we can't have you on the road anymore. So right. you, you're basically, you're going to have to do tour managing from a desk at home. Yeah. So um, that's when the music kind of, I was no longer traveling with it. Yeah. I was now at home doing paperwork and going to the embassy and getting band visas and just doing that kind of stuff. And then my dad wasn't well, so I needed to kind of focus on him. And that was kind of my exit from the music industry. And then then I had Emmy and then I I just decided that I didn't want to be in that industry and be a mum. I just... I don't know. Yeah, I, I commend I commend all the women that do it for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just I just knew that it I wasn't cut out for it. Yeah, yeah no, well, Emmy is, is your baby. That's your creative project. I didn't know the whole yeah. thing, Charlie. I didn't know it was that much traveling and living yeah. in all these different places. We've been speaking to a couple of women. Um, so yeah, this it's bonkers. A series of women. Um, who have lived abroad and travelled abroad. So, I, I mean, this fits in nicely. We, we, we <laughs> anticipated this. Yeah, I spent most of my life living out of a suitcase. Oh, that's, 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 so I am still... I know Emmy's eight. 
But I still, um, and people always say like, you don't sleep because when you post. So that last night to you. I thought that last night. And this, and this is the thing, when you spend, let's say 20 years um, on the road, yeah. you don't sleep when you're on the road. Um, you're just kind of catching some sleep after the show and then you're to the airport in the morning and then you go to sound check. Yeah. So my life is, uh, I've been a night owl for most of my life. And even though Emmy is, is nearly nine, my body clock has not changed. No, it, 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 you took my question away almost. Like it's so funny. <laughs> I was going to say, it seems like you have like still a real um, lively like cycle as far as like, I was going to ask if you had like, another thing that you do at night but it's just basically your music went into making these videos like the time that you're just used to exactly to, like working you're absolutely you're absolutely right where i normally would have been up in the studio till three four in the morning writing because i'm a, i'm a night writer yeah it's hap that's what's happened with creating content yeah it's emmy's gone to bed house is quiet uh, and, th and then I feel free. So I end up being up till 3 a.m. nearly every single day. So it's like, it's not healthy. It's not healthy though. What I'm doing is it's, it's not right. I, I it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna bite me in the ass. And it has a couple of times. <laughs> at some point, do you still have, um, do you still have songs that come through at times too? Do you still write them down? Or cook and sing? Yeah. Oh, cook and sing all day long. Yeah. That's, that's a hundred percent. And Emmy joins me too. Um, But I actually, when my dad passed, and then I kind of just made that transition with, um, you know, with, with what I'm doing, uh, I haven't been to the studio and recorded or written since my dad died. So it's been 10 years. Mm. And I sung and wrote every day of my life. Mm. And it's really crazy because the other day I, I just woke up, and this is really cool timing because I decided... Do you know what? I need to find my voice again, not for any other reason than just the fact that I need to find it again. Mm. And I was feeling this pull for the whole week. And then I was I was online and um, a friend of mine had just done this gig in Brooklyn, um, uh, Yaya, and she just posted herself with her vocal tutor in his house mm. and they were just um she was like at this grand piano in brooklyn and she was like doing her chords and she was singing something neat about, i mean she's just badass mm. she's like on another level and i was like wow i wonder i might reach out to her vocal tutor I, and i looked into him And I was like, holy, like he wrote Anita Baker, I apologize. Um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I, I sent him a message on it. I sent him a message on Instagram. Gordon Chambers. Yeah, that's who it is. That's who it is. That's who it is. Gordon Chambers. So I am going to, oh my God. So I'm going to go see Gordon yeah. and just, you know, I just want to be, I just want to, yeah, I just want to feel free. And that's one part of my life that I feel that I kind of put the lid on. And I think it's um, it's healing, you know. Yeah. It's it's just it's it's healing and being able to express yourself. And I think if I can just release that again inside of me, it can only it can only help. For sure. Oh so, God. do you have a favorite song or a song that always stuck with you that you still sing that you wrote? No. No. No, I don't listen to anything that I wrote. <laughs> 
I'm, 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 it's really funny. I'm yeah. still in this really weird space with everything I did. I just, I, I don't know. Mm. And, and I don't know why. And hopefully I will right. eventually just right. kind of be proud and go back and just revisit everything and be like, yeah, I did, I did that. No, right. <laughs> you know, cause you, 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 what you may not know, Charlize, is that you're talking to a writer, right? So Norma is a writer. Ah, That's what got it. the questions. I'm a writer. So as creatives, I, I think we're like, what do you mean? You know, yeah. celebrating the work, but it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's how you come totally. to, that creation and where you are and I, I, I imagine in the particular time you'll be showing emmy and she'll be so proud exactly and... exactly i mean emmy gets to see everything and hear everything yeah. just you yeah. think yeah she and she gets everything she has the most access right. i don't hide i don't hide my journey or anything away from her Good. Yeah. um yeah. because it's it's important for her to know you know who i am yeah yeah you know yeah. And, and she's definitely yeah. um <laughs> A natural performer. That's the Lean most I'm going to say. From day one. <laughs> from day one. I mean, I've met you about, I don't know, about four years ago now, maybe? It's been yeah, maybe a bit more than that. And yeah. so I've been watching her along with everybody else um, in yeah. the virtual community. And um, gosh, I mean, she's just grown in leaps and bounds, just beautiful. But she's an extension of your own beauty and grace. And uh, oh, bless you. well done. So we're going to land the plane because you've, You've given, you have given us food for thought and food for our Hey, I'm really, this is awesome. I love it. We're like, we're like giggling and all yeah. excited. Like, you don't want it to end, but. It, I love it. But I will so. actually, I'll just give you a little, I'll give you a little something before, before we land the plane. I like yeah. that expression. <laughs> so, uh, um, so with this whole pandemic thing and I mean, I said earlier, it has, it's brought new opportunities, mm-hmm. um, so I can't give too much mm-hmm. otherwise I'm going to get in trouble because right, I've right. signed an NDA All right, um, so I have um, the Black Vegan Cooking Show where I start filming in four oh, weeks oh, oh, oh. Oh. so doing that um, with Urban One Ooh. and we oh, it's going to be amazing we've got two really awesome elements of the show you know one element is uh me um cooking from the soul and storytelling and 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 sharing all that good stuff and then the second half of the show is um it's going to be me showcasing the best in black vegan chefs um restaurants influences um yeah uh and and also going athletes and also going into, I'm trying to not say too much. Yeah. And also going into some non-vegan celebrity, black celebrities homes mm-hmm. and, um, and helping them. Wonderful. That's the, mo- that's, that's the most Wonderful. I can say. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rest. I'll give you, I'll give you the rest of the mic. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Move over Tabitha Brown. It has a great <laughs> Yeah. So that's, I'm in the middle of, we're in the middle of producing that now and just figuring out all the segments because we're doing half of it based in New York and the other half is going to be in LA. Love it. So we are trying to push for the pilot for Thanksgiving and it's, it's been a really, it's been a hard push. I'm like, everything happens for a reason, you know, Um, I think um, it's, 
it's in the hands of who it needs to be yeah. in now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so yeah. exciting. It's so exciting. Um, I'm not going to name names, but there's one particular uh, personality, (laughs) I'll put it that way, who occupies a lot of um, headspace for many people. And no knock to this person, fine. Okay. I am so happy that other voices will be highlighted. People that have been doing this forever. Listen, I I don't know if you noticed, but I am very much all about celebrating everybody yeah you know it's i am like there is enough space for everyone and i really really wish that especially amongst the black vegan community i really wish that everybody shared each other more Mm. and highlighted each other more Mm. um you know we're more powerful more powerful together i make it my mission especially to share um black women in business, whether it be yeah. plant-based or not. Yeah. I'm yeah. just like, come on, people. This is such a powerful platform. Yeah. Why are we not using this to our advantage? Right, like, right. we're sleeping. Right, right. We are sleeping. I get really frustrated sometimes, and I feel like just sh- shaking everyone up. Wow. And I... saying, you know, everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Why are we, yeah. why is it taking us so long? Well... Well, you know, but hey, we're going to change yes. that because this sh- this show oh, is going to highlight everybody. Oh, I'm so excited! It's going to bring everyone. It's going to bring everyone to the forefront. You know, because that's where we deserve to be. Indeed. Oh my gosh! Well, what, 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 <laughs> couldn't find a better way to close out. Right? Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. That's exciting. Charlize, we yes, my love. cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your very busy schedule to um, speak. It's with all us good. Today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me, ladies. It's been lovely. Let the audience know where they can find you on Instagram. Uh, vegan. Yeah, vegan soulicious. I've been really flaky with my YouTube and ugh. So I'm still really, and TikTok, I just can't deal with it. <laughs> so I'm still really, <laughs> they're there, but I'm not really putting time into it. I don't know. I just, I'm still just on Instagram. But um, when the show comes out, they'll be able to find it on um, on Bossip and Madame Noir. So there are like a few platforms that where it's going to be aired. So um, hopefully everything will just fall into place. It will. <laughs> it will. It will. It will. And then you can yeah. find us same on Instagram, Black Girls with Accents. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks, this, guys. This, this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.